how many of you would say you're an average or better listener? Okay. You're a pretty honest group. <laughs> Expected more of you to go, I'm at least average. I think listening is a lost skill in our culture. And so even our connection with God becomes more of a one-way street. Our sharing with him, our needs, God wants to speak. Be still and know that I am God. We have lost the art of listening. I think it is the thing that threatens our relationships and threatens life-giving communication. How do we move to that place of being those who speak the truth in love to one another? We can't speak the truth in love if we aren't learning to hear what is true. Ten years ago, experts say that the average American retained 30 to 40 percent of what they heard in a conversation. Today, it's estimated that we retain somewhere around 20 percent. As professional communicators, we are constantly told that People are losing the ability to pay attention for longer than 10, 15. You're really stretching it if you push them for 20 minutes, which is interesting because our movies get longer and longer and longer. We seem to have no problem sitting for three hours watching CGI characters arguing over one ring to rule them all. <laughs> Even debating has become 30-second sound bites by a panel of experts on evening news. It's not a debate. There's no real expression of ideas. In families, we have lost the ability to truly hear one another. Churches are threatened because not only are we incapable of hearing from God, but we've lost the ability to spend time actually hearing each other. We're so much in a hurry to pop in and pop out and to get stuff done in the name of Jesus that we've forgotten what it means to sit and hear from a heart-to-heart level. We are starving for heart connection because we've lost the ability to listen. That's why James 1.19 begins this way. Let's say it again. Take note, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. You get the idea that James' experience even back then was that people don't listen. <laughs> Someone wrote this about their experience in, in conversation. You seldom listen to me, and when you do, you don't hear. And when you do hear, you hear wrong. And even when you hear right, you change it so fast that it's never the same. How many of you would say that's experiences that you have with people that you love and live with every day? Right. Now, You can't affect change in people around you. If that's what you're hoping for, then you're bound to repeat patterns that are destroying and hurting your relationships or limiting your relationships, keeping them from being what God wants them to be. Change has to happen in you. Did you ever hear that phrase, everywhere you go, there you are? (laughs) Everywhere you go, there you are. See, you can't change life by changing things around you, by changing people around you. God wants to transform us. So I want you to really pay careful attention when I talk about this because all of us are going to relate to experiences where we have had what I'm going to describe happen to us. We have all experienced not being heard, not being listened to on various levels. But as your mind goes there, contemplate the reality that you have been just as guilty in doing that to others. 
You just give yourself a pass. You accept your way of thinking as the way of thinking and therefore never challenge how you react to things. How do we become a real listener? Well, I love the way the message talks about this verse. Let's just say this together. Post this at all the intersections, dear friends. Lead with your ears. Follow up with your tongue. And let anger straggle along in the rear. I love that paraphrase. How picturesque. Lead with your ears. Learn to listen first. Proverbs 18 is where I want to take you this morning. Proverbs chapter 18. What is the primary theme of the book of Proverbs? Wisdom. It's about gaining wisdom. How many times do you think the word listening or listen appears in the book of Proverbs? Any guesses? 60? Is that a guess or did you read it this morning? It's a good guess. I don't really know the answer. I was asking you. But it's a lot. Listening is a sub-theme of the book of Proverbs. Here's the point. You can only gain wisdom when you learn to listen. People with a lot of knowledge, all they want to do is share that knowledge and talk. Wisdom comes from insight, not just knowledge. Insight comes from listening. Here's just some of the verses. We're going to be in chapter 18, and we're going to look at verse 13 to start with. He who answers before listening, that is his folly and his shame. Those are strong words. If listening creates wisdom, speaking too quickly is the opposite. It reveals our foolishness. Look at verse 15. The heart of the discerning acquires knowledge. The ears of the wise seek it out. Go back to verse 2. A fool finds no pleasure in understanding, but delights in airing his own opinions. Here's four things that giving someone the gift of listening provides. First thing, listening leads to understanding. Arguments tend to occur when neither side has bothered to listen to each other but has rushed into a conversation with an opinion. And then the argument is about whose presupposition was correct. No understanding is ever achieved because we both think from the beginning we know what's right. No listening. It's folly. It's foolish. Listening leads to understanding. Second thing listening does is it provides comfort and care. Listening is a ministry. When I was uh, about 22 years old, my mom passed away, and it was a surprise to us. She had been sick for a while, but we were expecting uh, with new medication that she was recovering, and then um, a a tragic event led to her, her death. And as a family, we were we were just devastated. Now, my dad was a pastor. We were a well-known ministry family, traveled and sang in the region. So hundreds and hundreds of people knew our family and loved my mother. And so at the viewing, the, the place was just packed with people. And you know how we expect the Christians who have lost loved ones to act a certain way? to be joyful, to say, well, we know where they are. Uh, That wasn't our family. That's not to say we didn't know where she was. My faith was never shattered by my mother's home going. But my loss of her was devastating. 
And so we're standing there, and we are just a pile of mush. People are walking by, and you can tell they're just really troubled by seeing us this way. Not just for us, but for them. So for several hours, people that we knew and loved tried their very best to comfort us by saying all the things we already knew over and over and over again. Talking, talking, trying to fix. I remember leaving that night feeling judged, feeling like I was a failure in people's eyes, and feeling somewhat ashamed, but certainly not feeling comforted. The first time I remember ever being able to process my feelings about my mother's home going in a way that weren't being judged by everyone around me in the Christian box, first time I was ever able to share safely was with Vitalina, my wife, before we were married. I remember one night in particular, we were just sitting, and it just all came out. She gave me the blessing of listening, of letting me be where I was without worrying about whether it was her job to fix that and get me where she thinks I should be. She listened, and in listening, she gave me comfort. I'm so grateful for that gift. Listening provides comfort and care. Third, listening communicates value and worth. When it's more important to me to convince you of my truth, what I'm saying to you is what you're feeling, what you're thinking matters less to me than what I'm feeling and what I'm thinking. It doesn't matter if I think you're right or wrong. I'm communicating value to you of who you are to me by simply saying, how you feel about this is important. Let me hear it. Let me understand it. And fourth, listening creates intimacy. You see, when we come at each other with our presuppositions and don't really back up to hear each other, the opposite of intimacy occurs. Walls go up, right? Some of us know what it's like to be in long-term relationships where it has been years since we honestly felt heard by those people. There's no intimacy. They may be blind to it because they're getting their way. There's no intimacy for us. We just feel a wall. The gift of listening, leading with our ears, helps us create intimacy. Let me just quickly roll through what gets in the way of that listening and why that doesn't just happen. And it really is our filters that are the issue. You may remember the diagram last week where we talked about a conversation really being four levels. What I want to say, which is in my head. What I actually say, which is typically not exactly what I'm thinking. Then there's what you hear me say, and then there's what happens in your mind when you interpret without even thinking, because you're always interpreting. That's the part I want you to look at real quick, and I want to throw a little graphic up here. Remember we talked about our life's history, every relationship we've ever had, positive or negative, all the experiences we've ever had come back when we're in similar experiences or interact with people that are like other people that we have either had a positive or negative relationship with. All that comes in. Our belief systems, not just our Christian faith, but our general idea of how life and people are, our political beliefs, our social beliefs, all those different things. Every hurt we've ever experienced, all the dreams that we have, some of which at some of our age we know now will never come true and leave a longing, all of our fears. You see, everything you hear passes through that tumble dry. You don't control that. It just happens. You don't turn that off. 
Something comes in and your mind just references everything in all of your history and experience that's similar to it. Immediately that bias is your response. So by the time you're even thinking about it, it's already passed through that filter. By the time you're consciously reacting to it, it has been impacted. That's what James meant in James chapter 4. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle deep within you? See, it's your internal battle that most damages your ability to hear people because you're coloring it by all of that that's broken in you. What do we do about that? Jeremiah 17 has a pretty depressing verse. The heart is hopelessly dark and deceitful, a puzzle that no one can figure out. That's kind of depressing. We look at it and we go, wow, I guess there's no hope. I guess I'll never really be able to hear without having my thoughts contaminated. If it's that bad, I guess this is just where we are. Maybe we just need to give each other a break. But few of us read on. It says, the heart is hopelessly dark and deceitful, a puzzle that no one can figure out. But I, God, search the heart and examine the mind. I get to the heart of the human. I get to the root of things. I treat them as they really are, not as they pretend to be. You see, all that that's inside us, that, we, that we're, right now we're calling our filters, because that's what everything that we hear and think about passes through. That's really our nature. That's the part that it's God's job to transform. And he is at work in it. We need to be open to letting God reveal to us things about ourselves that we stubbornly refuse to look at. That's what David said in Psalm 139. Search me, O God. Know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me. Think about that prayer in terms of how our fears, our anxious thoughts, our dark and selfish ways impact our ability to hear one another. God is in the business of transforming those things. We need to submit to that and be willing to let God bring out the things that we don't see in ourselves. There's another really important phrase. The first one I mentioned, wherever you go, there you are. But another one that you may have heard is, you don't know what you don't know. God knows deeper into us than we are able to see. He's the one that can bring it out. That's why David says, search me, O God, know my ways. It's interesting, he says, you have searched me. You do know my ways. So what he's saying is, God, you already know what's down there better than I do. I'm asking you to bring it out so that I can deal with it. Lead me in the path everlasting. Show me the right path for this. All of us need to be in this prayer that God will reveal, he will root out those sinful things that are broken in us. Give us an opportunity to leave them behind and grow through them. You can't do that. If you're in denial about yourself, your filters will always compromise your ability to hear God and to hear one another. Talked about the benefit of listening and how filters can get in the way of it. Let's talk about four ways that we think we're listening but aren't. The first way that we pseudo-listen is defending. Defending is my responding to someone in a way that is self-protective. Defending says, not me. Our response is, 
to try to push back in a way that says, well, this isn't my fault. It's not me. We're responding out of fear, out of a need to just simply not be wrong. We can defend in a lot of different ways. One is just pure denial. Now, you're totally wrong about that. You know, I, I, I wish I could tell you that I'm past this, but I, I can think about ways just this week that people in my family picked up things that I was thinking, and I said something else, but they knew what I was thinking, and when they called me on it, I totally denied it. Stuck with what I said. How many times have you done that? Please tell me you've done that. <laughs> we defend by denying. We defend by counterattacking. Yeah, but you... Yeah, I do that, but you do this. Another way we defend is to use guilt, right? All right, it's all me. Okay, I'll never do it again. And all we're really saying is, I'm giving in completely so you will feel bad. These are all the different ways that we defend, and we think we're responding and listening. We're not. A second way of pseudo-listening is comparing. If defending is, not me, Comparing is, me too. Comparing is only listening to someone's experience so that you can then share your experience. It usually is preempted by something like, I know exactly how you feel. And then suddenly, instead of listening to someone else's story and their experience, you're off telling yours. And you think you're listening and what you're doing is getting satisfied that you're being heard. And then the problem is we totally diminish the other person because usually our experience is like a one-upping. It's a little worse. It's a little more dramatic. It's just all about us. How many have experienced that from people? You're, you're left not being heard. The third way of pseudo-listening is what we call advising. Advising is the person that listens in order to solve we're all, by nature, fixers, and that's a pretty good thing. We want to help each other because we care. And sometimes we, we do the advisor listening thing more to the people that we love the most because we so want to see them come through it. But the problem is advising, whereas defending says not me, comparing says me too, advising turns the conversation into do this. It becomes an instruction. And sometimes people don't want to be fixed they want to be heard. They want that biblical dynamic of someone weeping with those who weep and rejoicing with those who rejoice. And when we jump to fix, there are five basic assumptions that we make in a conversation. First, the assumption is that I understand your problem. That's the first assumption. I understand it. Second, the assumption is I have the solution to your problem. The third assumption is that I assume that you actually want my solution. The fourth assumption is that you haven't yourself bothered to think about that possibility. And the fifth assumption is that the person can actually execute your solution. What a poor, what a shabby, what a foolish substitute for just entering into what someone is experiencing and truly listening. The fourth way that we pseudo-listen is by judging. Defending says, not me. Comparing says, me too. Advising says, do this. Judging says, you are. 
Judging is listening only to the extent that we can determine what's wrong with this person that they're in this situation. That's the one I think Christians do the most. It's the equivalent to the Pharisees and the disciples of Jesus saying, who sinned that this man should be born blind? We are so quick to say, well, who would find themselves in this situation? And then to judge people about character deficiencies, about lack of faith, about potential immorality, about bad management, about their own brokenness. And then the problem is, once that judgment's made, that's all we see. Once we determine and judge somebody that way, then we've stopped our ability to look at a situation for just what it is. We judge everything through that lens. Decide that someone isn't truthful, you can never hear them ever again in a way that isn't suspicious. Decide that someone's manipulating, you can't ever have them approach you with a request without wondering what they're trying to get out of it. See, judging is death to conversation and to listening. There's a place to effectively exercise the gift of discernment. In fact, there's an appropriate place for all four of these things. There is a time to maybe defend. There is a time to compare and to enter in and share with your experience with someone else. The Bible says we comfort others with the comfort we ourselves have received. There is a place for advising. There is a place for exercising godly discernment and trying to speak into someone's life. The problem is, if we haven't gained wisdom first, if we haven't bothered to actually listen and gain understanding, then our exercise of all four of those things is cursing rather than blessing, brings death rather than life. It is pseudo-listening, and you and I do it every single day. Look at Matthew 7. Do not judge, or you too will be judged with the same measure you use. This week we're talking about listening, the listening side of godly conversation. Next week we're going to talk about how to honestly speak truth in love. When it is time to speak, how to do it in a way that is life-giving. But I, I just want to share, just quickly run through just some suggestions that turn listening not into a passive or a waiting, but a true activity. And I want to use just a couple of verses to lay the context for it. Let's say them together. The first is Galatians chapter 6. Say it with me. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way, fulfill the law of Christ. All right, so the first thing we want to think about in terms of active listening is, my goal here is to enter in and share the load of what you're worried about, of what you're experiencing, even if that load is about your frustration with me. <laughs> I need to share that with you. Listen in such a way to share the load. Go to the next passage. Romans chapter 12. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Here's the second context for active listening. Our goal ought to be that we experience emotionally what the person sharing with us is experiencing. If there's joy, I don't want to minimize it. I want to celebrate it. If there's Weeping and mourning, I want to mourn with them, just like my precious Vit did for me those many years ago and has done on so many occasions with me. Heard heart to heart. See? So with that in mind, let's just quickly go through these uh, four steps. First, focus totally on the speaker. 
Now, obviously, there are times you can't do that, right? Like a really serious football game, you know. <laughs> Our wives should just understand. There are times when focusing is very difficult. Now, you know what I'm talking about. I, I mean, when the conversation matters, not just small talk, but when it matters and things need to be said, don't look around, don't roll your eyes, don't keep your focus and pay attention. Communicate value. Don't listen like this. That says, just try and make me understand. Listen with an open posture, full attention. Second, shut up. Can you say that in church? <laughs> Felt pretty good. <laughs> Don't react. We are so fast to want to speak. Remember how much faster what's going on in the head is happening like 10 times faster than the person can speak. No wonder we don't have time to actually hear what they're saying. We've already figured out what we think they're going to say, and all we want to do is react. Don't do it. Just sit quietly. Pause. Even if there's silence, count to 10. Don't be so trusting of your own words. Proverbs eighteen thirteen. He who answers before listening, that is his folly and his shame. Third, Enter into the person's feelings. It's so easy just to react to the words, especially when those words are things that we so disagree with or that we're hurt by or threatened by, that all we want to do is fix what those words are communicating to us. When, in fact, that person is speaking much more deeply than that, and we have to enter into their feelings. I remember being advised at a time when I was really struggling with a, a couple of folk um, who were always coming at me with accusations, and I just didn't know how to quite deal with it. And they, and they used adjectives that were, that were inflammatory. I was constantly offended and hurt, and I was always reacting out of that hurt. But the problem was I, I was their spiritual leader. It was a lose-lose situation. If I let it stand, then the facts about me are incorrect. If I defend, then I'm defensive. You know, it's a lose-lose. I had someone advise me, when somebody's sharing all this inflammatory stuff and it's coming at you, don't let it hit your heart. Picture it just showing up on a computer screen. And first look at it and say, what need, what is the real issue that I can adequately address? As soon as I make it personal, I can't deal with the situation. Let's just uh, read Proverbs 20. The purpose of a man's heart are deep waters, but a person of understanding draws them out draws them out. A person of understanding takes time to really enter in, and that leads us to the fourth. Before you speak, confirm what you think you've heard. Confirm what you think you've heard. So many of the arguments, as I think back, that I've been a part of are somebody saying something, and then I react, or that person reacts to what I said, and it's not what I meant, or it's not what they meant. Then the argument becomes about whether or not they meant it. You said this. No, I didn't. Well, it's not what I meant. Well, it's what you said. So what? So what if they said it angry the first time and we'll admit it? So what? You were mad. No, I wasn't. I was concerned. So what? It's communication that matters. It's hearing what they're saying at their heart. So that's why you come back at it. You say, okay, what I think I'm hearing you say is... And you're probably going to be wrong the first time. They may go, no, that's not it. <laughs> but you're the one who's working it, you're listening. You come back at it again, what am I missing? 
You don't go, I distinctly heard you say. You keep expressing what you think you've heard till you got it right. And you know what? Finally then, you have understanding. And you can speak out of wisdom. Write this. Lead with your ears. Lord, we want that to be true uh, of each of us. But our heart is a dark place, (laughs) wants to resist this. And so, Father, we start by saying, search our hearts. Root out those things that keep us from giving people the gift of understanding, the blessing, the ministry of listening. And help us to show such value and love to those people around us that we resist being those that just hold to our point, but we hear and we are wise in you. In Jesus' name, amen.